So let's go ahead and read it. It's Matthew 25, 14 through 30. So we're taking a big chunk of scripture today. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides these. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and wouldn't hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, if you were to look back through... Verse 45, and you have the beginning of chapter 25, so in in verse 45 of 24, sorry, you have the parable of the faithful and the evil servants. In 25, you have the parable of the the, uh, wise and foolish virgins, and then here you have the parable of the talents. So really, three talents that are kind of showing a similar truth, and Jesus is obviously just trying to drive this truth home. Number one, he is coming back, right? First off, he is coming back at any moment, at any time he could be coming. So we are always supposed to be ready for his coming, right? We're not supposed to be, you know, acting like the world and doing what the world does because the world is not ready for him to come back. If the world knew that he was going to come back tomorrow, don't you think the world would act a little bit different? Don't you think there'd be some fear and holiness? Maybe, (laughs) you know? They, knowing that they will stand before the judge of all the earth. you know. But we are supposed to be ready at any moment for his soon return. right? We're supposed to be faithful with that. The parable of the, the virgins, the ten virgins, shows that he could delay, that his coming might not be as soon as you expect, so to be ready to be prepared to wait a long time. And we've waited for over 2,000 years for Jesus Christ to come back. Right. That's a long time. I'd say he's delayed. You know, I mean, the apostles, everybody in the first century thought that he would come back in their lifetime. You know, and so has every generation since. 
has always thought, okay, this is it. I think we're the ones who are right, though. I think he's coming back any moment, at any time, looking at the world, looking at the things that are going on in our world. I think it's safe to say that. And then here in this parable, we have the lesson of faithfulness, that we are to be faithful until he comes. Right? We're to be faithful workers until he comes. And so, what are we to be faithful with? We're to be faithful with the work he's given us. We're to be faithful with the word he has given us, his Bible, right? This is his word. We are to read it. We are to study it. We are to seek him through it, right? To forsake his word is to forsake him, right? It says that he holds his word above his very name. And so to forsake the word is to forsake him. He says, I believe it's in the Psalms, that if you only pray to me, but you don't study my word, you are an enemy, You don't seek me. You don't want to know what my mind is. You don't want to know who I am. But yet you're going to pray to me like I'm a genie in a bottle. You're actually an enemy of mine. So he holds his word up so high. And we are supposed to hold that same word up and dive into it. right? Every chance we get, every day. There shouldn't be a day that goes by where we're not studying his word to some degree or listening to it or doing something. right? Trying to seek him through it. To know him. To know what he wants for us and from us. Right? We're also to be faithful with his Holy Spirit. He's, if you believe in Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit indwells you. you know, I don't know if there's a more glorious truth than that. I mean, it's all kind of tied together. Like that Jesus is God. He came and died for us, for our sins, to cover us, to make us one with the Father, right? To present us before the Father, not as criminals, as those who have broken his law and hate him, but as those who love him and adore him and whom he loves, right? To be present us as his children, as his adopted ones, right? His beloved. But also that he's given us the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to help us, right? He's called the parakletos, the the helper, the advocate, um, the, the comforter. It's translated many different ways. But it means literally one who has come alongside to help us. You know? We're to be faithful with that, with the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you, but yet he doesn't overthrow your free will. Right? You can choose to obey him or to disobey him. So don't, don't quench the Spirit. We're to be faithful with the spiritual gifts he has given us. We'll go over that in a little bit. Faithful with the personal attributes he has given us, whether it's physical, mental, or character-wise. You know, there's people who just have these amazing characters, and it's they're that way so that they can glorify God. Right? The physical attributes we have are there so we could bring glory to the to our Lord, Jesus Christ. Right? Our mental attributes you know some of you guys are smarter than others is it for you no it's for the glory of god you know now it shows his creation his stamp on us so if we're waiting for him how are we waiting for him are we being faithful 
with what he's given us? Are we being faithful? That's the question. Okay, Are we being faithful with what he's given us? Look at verse 14. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now, just a couple things. Obviously, Jesus Christ, who is, is the one who is the ruler, and he's going on a, a long journey. He's going off to a far-off country, and he calls his servants to him, and he, he distributes his wealth to them. Right? Literally, these are slaves. In the ancient world, a slave was much different than what we think of in our American history. A slave back then would, could be a, actually a very noble job. All right. It was, you might sell yourself to be a slave because you're like, I don't have any money. My business is, um, my business is destroyed or whatever it is. And you sell yourself to somebody who's wealthy and you actually have the chance to become like family with them. And here it shows that, that the, the slave relationship with his master wouldn't just be that of, um, somebody who is just to submit and to be trampled on all the time. Right? These slaves are held up in a very dignified manner, you know, more like an employee than a, what we would call a slave. But he calls them to himself, delivers, them, delivers his goods up to them, and he gives to them each according to their own ability. Each according to their own ability, according to how much they're able to be faithful with. You know, he's seen how them work. He's seen how they do things. And so to one, he gives five talents, you know, and talent here is not like what we think of talents. Like I'm really good at basketball, which I'm not, you know, or, you know, riding a unicycle or juggling. That's all stuff my son can do. <laughs> he's, you know, it's not speaking of that kind of talent, even though that's where the word comes from. These talents are weights, weights of silver. Or they could be of gold. Here it's of silver because we know we know that it's of silver because later on in verse 18, he says he he buried his money. And the literal word for money there is silver. So these are talents of silver. And a talent of silver weighs 75 pounds. Okay? This isn't just like chump change. This isn't just a little bit. This is this guy's whole estate, all of his money. Alright? So he's given him 75 pounds of silver, you know. Times five, whatever that is. Anybody good at math? I'm not. See, there's those mental attributes. I oh, got it. 125? 425. 425 pounds of silver. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah, to another two and to another one. So this is no small amount of silver. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Christ's gifts to us. All right? He's not begrudging. He is always generous with his gifts towards us. He loves us. He gives us all that he has, right? It says in Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. His riches, Right? You know, he doesn't give us according to our need. He gives us according to his riches. That's an awesome truth that we find in scripture. You know, if you said I'm hungry and I gave you a sandwich, I'd be, I'd be meeting your need, right? 
I'm like, yeah, you got a full belly. But if I gave you a shopping spree to Costco for like $1,000, that'd be according to my riches. You know, kind of like that. He gives us according to his riches, the riches of his grace. That's amazing. Let me read that verse again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and understanding. You know, his riches towards his church are incomprehensible. I don't believe we can understand all of those things now. I believe he's given us some understanding of them. You know, but until that day that we stand before him and we really see what he has done for us, we see God in all his holiness and his perfection. We see the vastness of heaven. I mean, I don't know what we're going to be looking at. When we see how amazing it is, his love for us, and we start to receive those things he has laid up for us, we're going to be blown away. We're going to say, I have never imagined, no eye can see, nor ear hear, nor mind comprehend the things that God has in store for those who love him. The Bible says. So the riches towards his church are incomprehensible. I love it. It says in Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You know, here's another New Testament truth. It's like we had a lot in Adam. Remember Adam and Eve? They're in the garden. They have perfect fellowship with God. They have, you know, they have this garden that they're supposed to live in. It's absolute paradise. They have all of this, and yet they traded it in for a stinking piece of fruit. They traded in for that, for the, for the lie of the serpent. To be like God is what they wanted. They wanted more than what they already had. And in their sin, they lost almost everything. Right? Yet God had mercy on them. He let them live for a time. Remember he said, if you eat this fruit, for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know? And literally in Hebrew, it's die twice. It's um, you shall die, die. That's what the Hebrew says. I believe that's taken as you will die spiritually, but you'll also die physically, you know. And ever since Adam and Eve, we have been in a state of lostness, a state of sin, a state of fallenness, right? We're not what we were supposed to be from the beginning. We're like a perversion of, of what is good and right. But when you believe in Jesus Christ, when he came and died for you, you know, and you believed, and he gave you his Holy Spirit, he starts superabounding what you lost. Right? So I, I kind of think of it like this. Imagine there's a city, and it just gets decimated by an enemy. You know, bombs go off, and it's just rubble and shambles. And a great king comes and says, I'm going to rebuild it. But I'm not going to just rebuild it. I'm going to take another kingdom, a greater kingdom. I'm going to put it on top of it. You know, it's almost like he rebuilds what we lost in Adam, but yet he superabounds it and he gives us so much more. You know, I don't read anywhere where it says Adam and Eve were co-heirs with Christ. You know, but I do read that of his church. That we're co-heirs with Christ. That we're called brethren of Jesus Christ and sistren. You know, it's awesome that we are, we're heirs with God. You know, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. It's amazing. He has superabounded what we've lost and given us so much more. Paul prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3, 6 through 19. 
And he prays for him that they would, that the Lord would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what, again, what Jesus has given to us surpasses knowledge. It's incomprehensible, but yet it's to some degree knowable. So it's awesome. And not only that, he saved us, given us love. He's also given us his spirit. Okay, We are to be faithful with his spirit. Something else that's given to us is our calling. You know, what is your calling in God? What is the calling the Holy Spirit has given you to do? What is the work he has given you to do? And again, I love it because it says he gave to each one according to his own ability. You know, he's not going to just absolutely, you're going to be overwhelmed already. <laughs> he's given you enough for that. If you have kids, you're overwhelmed. You know, if you have people to take care of, you're overwhelmed because that is a hard task. You know, but yet he has called us to do those things, but not called us to do them by ourselves. He calls us to do them with him. I remember, uh, remember in the book of John, John's Gospel, in chapter 3, the Pharisees are fighting with John the Baptist, and they're saying, and they're, it's like they're trying to razz him or something, and they say, look, everybody's now going to Jesus rather than to you. Aren't you jealous? And John the Baptist says in John 3, 27, says he answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Yeah. What has God given you to be responsible for? And are you doing it in faithfulness to him, expecting that he will come back and we will give an account? Okay, you can either give that account with joy or with absolute, absolute terror, as we see in this parable. And he's also given us, again, his spirit to help us with the work that he's appointed for us to do. But listen to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed a part. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the whole point of it. You know, that God's prepared those works beforehand that we should walk in them. You know. He's decided what works we're to do. Philippians 2, 12-13. Therefore, my, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to do and to will for his good pleasure. So he tells them, you need to work out with fear and trembling your salvation. right? Like, work it out. Show that you are approved of God. Like, But aren't you scared to do that? Aren't you scared that you won't be approved? Aren't you scared that you won't work out your salvation with fear and trembling? That you won't work it out at all? You know, Because left to myself, I'm not going to do it. But then he pulls up this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He gives you the will to do it, and he gives you the work, the ability to do that work for his good pleasure. And listen, what is our... 
What is our commission? What what is if you kind of a catch all of what Jesus has told us to do? That you see it in the Great Commission. Right? Go forth, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? It says, Lo, I'm with you every day till the end of the age. You know, we're supposed to go forth, make disciples. Right? You make other Christians. Okay? People who love God. People who, who are getting into his word and understanding it. Right? We're supposed to do that work. And while he is gone, he's also called us to be salt and light in the world. Right? To be salt and light. To, so, so what does it mean to be salt? Salt preserves, right? If you're in the ancient world or, you know, you guys, anybody watch one of those shows where they drop the guy off in the middle of nowhere and then leave him for, you know, for a time and they have a competition to see who lasts the longest? Alone. Is it alone? It's one. Yeah. I mean, there's a few, but they're having to... You know, if they want to put meat away, they got to salt it, right? And put it in a cool space. You know, and that's what they did. Salt doesn't stop the decay, but it slows it down. We are to be salt in this world. Right? Police officers have a distinct purpose of being salt in this world. To be a restrainer against evil. Our military... You know, anybody who does that kind of work is doing a very noble and awesome work. But as Christians, we are to do it by showing the world what righteousness is, what truth is, right? We can't just be neutral on morality. We have to call evil, evil, and good, good, right? We can't just say, well, you do it your way, I'll do it my way, and, you know, we'll see who's right at the end. No, what you're doing is evil. It is evil. It goes against God's will. It goes against his creative order. And what you are doing is destructive to yourself, to the world. I mean, just think about it. What did, what did Adam and Eve do to throw the entire creation into a state of decay? What did they do? They only broke one commandment. They ate a piece of fruit. They ate a piece of That was all they did. You know, you want to make light of sin? All they did was eat a piece of fruit. And all creation is subject to futility, it says in Romans, because of that. All of creation. It says that the creation groans, right? It groans in pain. Just look at animals in the wild. Look at, look at everything. Everything is dying. Everything is decaying because they ate that piece of fruit. And we want to make light of our sin and say, no big deal. Or make light of other people's sin and say, it's no big deal. No, it's actually destroying everything because they are warring against God. But we know who's going to win, right? God is going to win. You know, we're supposed to be, Saul, I, I think of Lot. Remember Lot? He was in a really wicked place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? Everybody familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah is this place where everybody was depraved. Right? It was, it was a place where, where when these two angels come in, and they're just disguised as men. They look like men. They come into the city of, 
of Sodom, and, and they go in, they meet Lot there, right? He's sitting at the gate, which the person who sat at the gate was usually a king or a judge of a city. Because you'd walk in through the doors, there would be a throne there. And it says he was sitting at the gate of the city. And he says, come with me, guys. You know, don't stay here in the open square. Come with me. You guys can stay at my house and then leave in the morning. And they try to say, no, we'll just stay in the open square. And he says, no, you guys are coming with me. Let's go. And so they go. And it says every man from every quarter of the city, every single one of them came and wanted to rape those two men. And Lot was a righteous man, you know. But yeah, I think he was a bit of a coward. He said, I have two daughters, take them, but don't harm these guys. They've come up under my protection. And then the, uh, the men said, well, we're going to do worse to you than, than we were to them. Because you're acting like a judge over us. Now, that's what they tell him. And so the two angels, they strike all the men with blindness. And it says they grow weary of trying to find the door because of the blindness. You know, they're so lust crazed and so violent that they don't even, blindness doesn't even really stop them. They just try to fight through it. But Lot was the preserving influence there. He was the one who was standing up as a judge. In 2 Peter 2, 6-8, it says, speaking of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, it says, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, condemned, condemned them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing the lawless deeds. So he sees what goes on every day, the homosexuality, the, the violence, all this stuff. And it says he vexed his righteous soul. He tormented his own soul by seeing what he saw. And yet he was still a preserving influence there in Sodom and Gomorrah. I think it's interesting that they were destroyed pretty much by salt. You know, fire and brimstone rain from heaven from God on that city. Brimstone is, you know, salt and magnesium and stuff that gets lit on fire and it was thrown down to the earth. Now in that place is you have the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, which is one of the most corrosive bodies of water in the world. You know, we were there. It's actually really cool when you go into it. You know, you sit in about a foot of water, you just lean back and you float. Because it's so buoyant. It's really neat. But what a testimony to what happened at that place. Nothing is alive in that water. You don't, have, you don't go fishing there. You know, I could just imagine going fishing there and everybody would laugh at you. you know, it'd be cool to hook a dead fish on there and like pull it out though. It would freak them out. <laughs> yeah. But we are to be salt and light. You know, light shines. Light shines on the darkness. Light sh also shows, reveals what is good. And that's what we're to do. We're supposed to show what is good. We're supposed to make the gospel beautiful to people. Yeah. But if I were to sum it all up, what we were to do, what God has given us to do here, and I'm sure I've mi I'm missing some things, but number one, to seek the Lord. To seek him. I think it's in Psalm 27. The Lord says to David, Seek my face. And David says, Your face, O Lord, will I seek. 
So we're to seek him, we're to know him. You can't give what you don't have, right? We're also to worship him in the beauty of holiness. So if you know him, you're going to worship him, you're going to love him. It says, give unto the Lord glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 29, 2. We're also to build up his church. Colossians 1.28, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You know, warning, teaching, instructing, you know, loving the church. That's what we're supposed to do, loving each other, praying for one another, you know, sacrificing for one another when the time comes. We're also to Again, restrain the evil in this world. You know, dads, we get to restrain the evil in our houses. Moms, get to restrain the evil in your houses. You guys get to restrain evil while you're at work and among your coworkers by number one, just being a good example, right? By being a good example, by being someone who is wholesome and loving and kind, you know, you know? by being righteous, by not falling into the evil deeds of others. You know, and we're also supposed to give the world the gospel, make disciples. All right, that's pretty explanatory. Now, what are some of the gifts you've been given? What are some of the gifts you've been given by God? First, go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. So, if you hit Acts, keep going right. You'll hit Romans. If you hit any other books, you've gone too far. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. Because if you have the Holy Spirit, then you also have gifts from the Holy Spirit, right? Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Okay? For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts according, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy, you know, when we think of it, we think of like telling the future or something like that. What it would also mean is foretelling. It means you're telling God's word. You know, you're giving understanding to his word. You're telling it, telling people what he says. When I prophesy, all I'm doing is just reading the Bible. Okay? But a prophet would be someone who reads it at a certain point in time, knows what to bring out of it. Right, And then he says, so if prophecy, let it be in proportion to our faith, or ministry, you could put service there, acts of service. Ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence. You know, so you have people who prophesy, you have people who um, minister, just serve, in the church, doing various things. Uh, you have those who, who give, 
You have those who teach. Um, you know, you have those who lead. You know, and all this is, is supposed to be done within the church. Okay, those are gifts that we've been given. All right, are we using them? Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. And it says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given each to each one for the profit of all. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing what to do with knowledge. All right? What do we do with coronavirus? How do we be wise with that? How do we be wise if our government's coming against us? How do we be wise in reaching the city of Golden? You know, do you have a word of wisdom concerning that? And I would guarantee that certain thoughts have crossed your guys' minds, and yet you have stifled your mouth. I've done it. You know, it's almost like the Holy Spirit's giving you insight into something, but you don't tell anybody. That's me quenching the Spirit. So one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit to another word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Okay, So it's the Spirit who gives those abilities, those gifts. Now do you have, what, what, what gift do you have from the Spirit? You know? I think in times of revival and at the time that this was written, it was much more, um, uh, what's the word, amazing, I guess, you know? Because there's these times of visitation when the Spirit does amazing things. You know, read the accounts of the Great Awakening here in America, you know? Jonathan Edwards goes into this church, reads this sermon, and he did read it. He wrote, he's known for, was known for just standing there reading his sermons, you know, and it was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. People got so scared, they were actually hanging on to the pews, thinking they were going to fall into the depths of hell right then and there, you know. That revival swept the entire country. You know, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said that he would walk down the streets and he would hear singing and rejoicing in the Lord from almost every house. That was revival. People were falling into trances and and gifts were given and and they were used and stuff like that. So there are times when the Spirit blesses a people and preserves the country or a nation or the world through revival. And he does amazing things, things that we are not used to seeing or being a part of, but those still happen. But I still believe that he gives his gifts to his church, to the people in his church, 
but we have to have courage to use them. We are to stir up the gifts that are in us, right, by using them. And so if you know what your gift is, if you have an idea, you know, then use it. If not, if you don't have an idea, then just pray. Lord, show me the need. Show me the need. Show me the need that you want me to step into. And I believe that need will use your gift. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take time to perfect it. You know, you're not going to just come out right away and, ah, you know, and just be able to perfectly use the, the gifting that the Holy Spirit's given you. You know those things are going to be matured in you. Okay? He's also given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, according to Ephesians 4.11. Now, so with all of that, are we using our gifts in light of his soon return? On that day when we will give an account. Let's go through the rest of this passage in, in Matthew. We'll go, the rest will be fairly quick. Verse 16 says, Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What's it going to be like on that day when you hear that? You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You know, Imagine that day. Imagine that day when you hear that. And you've been striving to be faithful to your calling to what God has told you to do, what he has given you to do, right? You don't have to hear it. You can see it. You can see what he's given you to do. You know, where are you at in your life? That's what he's given you to do and to be faithful in that. Verse 22, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And isn't it awesome that the one who had the five talents and the one who has the two talents both get the same thing? He didn't say, Well, you only had two talents. That was no big deal. You did great. Okay, come on up here. You know, just like he had pity on him. No, he's enter into the joy of your Lord. You are faithful. Faithfulness is the, um, is the test. Will you be faithful? It's not how much you have or how much you don't have. It's are you faithful with what you do have? Okay? So don't look at other people and think, well, they have so much more than me. You know, it's really, you know, I hate when you go to, pa I go to pastor's conferences and everybody's like, well, how many people are coming to your church now? I'm like, oh, 10. How long has it been? Oh, like eight years. You know? <laughs> and it's like, that's what the Lord has decided for me. I just have to be fine with that. I have to be happy with that. I have to be faithful with that. You know, you guys are precious. 
Every single one of you is precious to the Lord. I remember, and I've told this story, sorry guys, you've heard this like four times. But I remember when I was at, when I worked at Brookdale. And um, I was like, Lord, what are we doing? You know, we're just this little church and it doesn't seem like anybody wants to come to church. And, you know, are we making an impact at all? And, you know, doing all this stuff. And I'm out there watering these sticks, six giant water flower pots that we had in front of the building. And um, we'd put them out every year and then plant flowers in them. And then, you know, I was usually the one who had to water them like two or three times a week. And um, all of a sudden I'm just looking at them. I'm like, man, how beautiful are these flowers? And everybody gets to walk in here and look at these flowers and enjoy them. You know, it's not much. Some people might not even notice them. You know, but, but the Lord notices that which is his. Is not the world that much more beautiful because we meet together to the Lord? Is he not pleased as he looks down upon us and sees our worship and our love for him and our, our dedication to his word? Yeah. I believe it's beautiful to him. And so there's a sense of contentment that comes with that. And knowing we don't have to be hundreds of people, thousands of people, you know, we can just be a small, simple group of believers who meet together and love one another and worship the Lord together. Look at verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look! There you have what is yours. So let's think a minute about the character of this wicked slave. You know, in in almost every parable, especially in Matthew, in the entire gospel, there's always a distinction between true believers and false believers. You know, you have the um, parable of the soils or of the sower, you know, where he comes and he puts some seed on the on the stony places, and some on the thorns, and some on the walk, walkway, and some on good ground, you know. And he says, hear this and hear all the parables. You know, there, there are those who believe, and there are those who falsely believe. There are those who are true believers, and there are those who are make-believers, or false believers. And that's what I believe we're seeing here. We see the true believers, the first two, and then we see this false believer, the last one. So he says, let me read it again. He says, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. So first off, this wicked servant maligns the, char- the character of his master. He says, you're a hard man. You know, you're, you're really a prick. You're a jerk. You know? I don't like working for you. You're not nice. And you, you don't even take what's yours. You, you, you take what is somebody else's. You're like a thief. He says that about his master. Could you ever say that about the Lord? You know, I've met those who think that God is just some police officer waiting for them to mess up so he can stomp them out. And that's not our God. He has gone to great lengths to show us grace and love. Right? And so, first he maligns his character, then he's 
working on self-pity. I was afraid, so I did this. I was afraid, so I hid your money in the ground. I buried it where nobody could find it. You know, I didn't want to be accountable for it, so I, I just, you know, I was afraid, so I hid it. Self-pity. He's a, he's a wicked and lazy servant, God says to him, or the master says to him. Look at verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seeds. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming out would have received back my own with interest. interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. So first off, he's not saying, yeah, you're right, I am like this. He's basically condemning him with his own words. So you think I'm like this? Well, here's what you should have done if you were wise. You would have just put the money with the bankers. That way, when I came back, you could give me some interest with it. You know, you'd have been a little bit faithful. He uses his own words against him. In, um, in Matthew 12:33, Jesus says this. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? He's speaking to the Pharisees. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account for it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You know, this man is saying that God is harsh, and so he uses his own words against him. And God is going to do the same to every man and woman on the face of this earth throughout all time. Either by your words you will be acquitted, or by your words you'll be condemned. You know. Think carefully before you malign the character of God. You know, why do you love Jesus Christ? Because he first loved you. He first loved you. He gave himself for you. He's already given you everything. He has shown his kindness. He has shown his grace, his love, his goodness. If he never did anything else for you, that would be enough. He has reserved you for heaven. He has made you a son of the Most High God or a daughter. You know, the Bible says son because you're also an heir. You know, you're an heir with him. For all of eternity, you're an heir with the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And so he's given you everything that there is, everything that is good and upright. He has given it all to you. You know, but those who are evil within, who have not had their hearts changed, who have not been born again, how could, how could good come out? You know, if, if you want to know what's in somebody's heart, it comes out of the mouth. He says, for out of the mouth the heart speaks. What is in your heart? What is coming out of your mouth? That reveals what's in here. That is, reveals what you are. Are you a son and daughter of God? Or you are, or are you of the evil one? Are you of, an, of Adam and Eve, who would sin against God, trying to be like Him, committing treason? 
That's what they did. They committed treason. You know, there's two things that are punishable by death in the United States of America. Murder and treason. They were treasonous. And our, our words reveal what's in the heart. And God knows the heart perfectly. And now here's the spiritual truth. Look at verse 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. From him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. This is proof that this person was an unbeliever, or pictures the unbeliever. Because he doesn't have it. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He's not born again. He doesn't have the Word of God dwelling in him. Right? He doesn't have it. And even what he does have will be taken away. In verse 30, and cast that unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, this is actually a, a phrase that Jesus used very often. You know, the one, and he will have an abundance, um, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. He says it several times in the Gospels. Matthew 4, 24 through 25. He said to them, take heed what you hear. You know, he's given the word of God. Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. You know, you take a big measure of God's word. You know, it's fruitful in your life. It does what it's intended to do. You'll be given more. You'll be given more. You'll be given more understanding of who God is. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But he who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. You won't listen to God's words. You're saying, you're saying, I don't need that in my life. I don't need to listen to it. You know, I'll just hear it at church. I'll pretend like I'm a good person. Then I'll just go and do whatever I want to do. Even what you have will be taken away from you. It says in James that the godly will grow more godly, but the ungodly will grow more ungodly. That's because those things will be taken away from them. So how do you hear the word of God? Are you hearing, but then forgetting? Are you diligent to keep it? You know, are these words the most precious thing in your life? Because they bring you close to God and they, they help you to live rightly before him? Or are they something that you just like, eh, take it or leave it? How do you hear? Are you flippant with it? And then he says, and cast that unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. One of Jesus' favorite descriptions of hell. A place of darkness where there will be weeping, weeping for sorrow, weeping because of the pain, right? Weeping because of the heat and the, the, the I mean, imagine having every lust that you have right now, every bit of sin, but not having any way to fulfill it. Because that's what's going to be in hell. Imagine knowing that God hates you and you are going, the only thing you have to look forward to for all of eternity is the next moment of pain and suffering. Absolute and utter hopelessness. So he says it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is used in the Psalms for those who are hateful. So even though they're there, they're not saying, oh, I'm so sorry, God, I should have known better. 
Now they're still hating him. They're gnashing their teeth at him. They're like, oh, I hate you. That's what they're saying. <laughs> Pull over. <laughs> you know, they're gnashing their teeth at him. It also just shows pain. You know, that gnashing your teeth because of pain. You know, the stress of it. I've known someone who was so stressed out because they were doing so much and they weren't getting enough sleep and stuff. They actually broke their back teeth because they were clenching so hard all the time. You know, finally fractured them. But imagine that place where there's outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, how are we waiting? Come back to the beginning. How are we waiting on the Lord? How are we waiting for him to come back? Are we being faithful with what he's given us to do? You know, and just know that you cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Okay? When I read this, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Because I'm like, Lord, I want to be found faithful. I don't want to be unfaithful. I don't want to stand before you on that day to give an account. And, and I'm like the wicked servant. I want to be faithful with what you've given me. But I know I can't do it on my own. And also, just look at the next thing that you have to do. You know, and do it for the Lord. You're doing dishes. Man, what an awesome time to pray. You know, or to worship. You know, I mean, think, Lord, you have cleansed me just like I'm cleaning these dishes right now. Spotless, nothing on them. You know, I don't know. But, but spiritualize things. Remind yourself of what he's done for you. You know, when we're raising up our kids, constantly remind yourself why you're doing it. It's not for you. It's not just so that they can live a happy life and then die one day. It's so that they can live a life for the Lord. Right? There's nothing greater. There's also nothing else that is worthy of a soul. There's nothing else that's worthy of your soul than Jesus Christ himself. Give your life to anything else that's just folly. He's forever. He's eternal. You know? Why do I keep preaching? You're like, I don't know. It's been like an hour. Because there's nothing else worthy for me to do and to give my life for to him in that way. You know? Let's pray.